What's up, Chuckers? This is Nook, and I've got Kick. Today, we have a special guest, Corey Hawk, and we are going to be talking about slings and staff slings specifically, along with maybe a little bit of archery. Corey, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm based out of southeast Nebraska here, and I was raised in a family of outdoorsmen and and hunters and uh, grew up with this kind of thing, you know, slingshots and, and bows and arrows in my hands as, as early as I was able to understand their utility. So I'm thankful to have been raised with this type of stuff. And I've been practicing with it ever since, I guess. I own a longbow making shop here um, in Nebraska, Organic Archery, where we specialize in handcrafted wooden longbows and arrows. So that's what I do during the day. And uh, the rest of the time, I just tinker with my interests. <laughs> so, see, you were on television or something, weren't you? Um, yeah, I was on the History Channels alone, season seven. So, I don't think I actually caught season seven. Did you? Did you use a lot of archery in the in the show? Um, for the amount of time that I was there, I actually sustained a pretty serious knee injury out there. So, I was only there for just a couple of days, less than two weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. But uh, yeah, I shot, shot some small game out there with a longbow. What sort of uh, experience do you have with uh, slings? Uh, you know that you've got some experience uh, with staff slings that you've seen that you have been promoting those. So what sort of experience do you have with hand slings as well? I became fascinated with hand slings first, actually. And I started using those probably about six or seven years ago, just kind of as a fun side hobby and i made them out of all different kinds of things like paracord and jute twine and sisal and uh, i'd make stacks of them and then invite my friends over and we'd have slinging parties in the afternoon on the weekends and just (laughs) like messing around with them and trying to figure them out and uh even after several that sounds fun yeah even after several years of practice with the hand sling though i never really got to where i felt dangerously accurate with it I mean, I could hit the broad side of a small shed with it on a regular basis, but it wasn't like headshot accuracy or anything. So that was kind of discouraging to me a little bit just because of the amount of time that it takes to become proficient with it. Um, and so I started to mess with the shepherd staff sling a few years ago and fell in love with that almost instantly just because of the mechanical release. It's, it's, it's in my hands at least so much more accurate. So I've been throwing with the shepherd's staff sling for a couple of years now, just for fun, whenever I'm out in the mountains or down by the river. That is interesting because one of the things that we've heard quite a few times is that the hand sling is quite difficult to be accurate with. And I've heard other people recently saying that the staff sling is just as difficult, but I've always thought it's been easier. So it's good to hear that someone else has also had that experience that the mechanical release makes it that much more accurate. Yeah, I think 
as long as you get the hand placement dialed down on the shepherd sling, it'll hit exactly where you look most times. Yeah. So it sounds like you approached the, the staff sling from the perspective of an archer in many ways. I'm, I'm no archer, but I'm, I'm trying to come up to speed, bought a cheap bow and just to learn it. Yeah, that, that idea of consistent hand placement and anchor points and all that in archery, I can see how that would transfer very well to a staff sling. Yeah, it, I mean, it's totally different mechanics, but the fundamentals are still there. The staff sling's very much shot sort of instinctively, a lot like the primitive longbow. You know, you just look at what you want to hit, and then you have to get your your repeatable body mechanics, and then the rest of it just becomes instinctual, kind of like throwing a stone with your hand. Hand sling is, I, I think, the most unconstrained launching mechanism on the planet. I think that's the beauty of the staff sling is that what you're doing is you're actually constraining the motion to kind of a, a single plane as you swing the, the staff. That's not entirely true. I mean, it, technically, there's some three-dimensionality to it, but you're, it gives you the ability to uh, add constraints to it, which I think is, is where that extra accuracy comes in if you can get the mechanics right. Yeah, I just could... Uh... I just could never get the release quite perfect with the with the uh, hand slings. I felt like I had all of the rest of the body mechanics now or or down and figured out, but uh, even just a slight error in your release makes a huge difference on the impact. So the staff sling eliminates that with the mechanical release because the top loop slides off the you know, the, the staff at the exact same place every time. So it kind of creates just a little bit of predictability without you having to actually do anything. Mm -hmm. So have you ever, have you ever tried to do any hunting with a staff sling? I have not. No, I, I've not just, uh, haven't. Yeah. Every time I'm out in the woods hunting, I'm, I've always got my longbow. So <laughs> I've not uh, had a need to take out the staff sling at this point, but that's fair. Yeah. We're, we're kind of on a quest to find somebody who can actually show us a, a real world example of sling hunting. And uh, so far it's been very difficult to find. We know that we know it exists, but it's, it's finding someone that has actually got that experience and because the sling is just so unknown <laughs> really, uh, despite it being such a sort of, a, so had such a long life as a weapon in human history it seems that there's very few people around nowadays that will actually use it for hunting so it's kind of interesting to hear those sorts of stories so how do you so you, you wouldn't you wouldn't rate a sling like hand sling really as a weapon for hunting it's not that i don't trust it in skilled hands to be an effective hunting weapon but i think a lot of people in a lot of different states would run into legality issues like well, stone yeah. point yeah. hunting for example is legal in my state i don't know if that would transfer over to a round stone thrown from a pouch but very, i think very dull point yeah <laughs> i think you'd be limited to probably <laughs> at least small game and upland birds and things like that and a staff sling would be just devastating on game that size i mean it would they would probably just explode yeah. to be completely honest so i don't uh, i don't know if it would damage the meat beyond repair, I'm, I'm not really sure why people wouldn't hunt with it, but uh, there's the added challenge to your throw creating so much movement in the woods that you'd be limited to game animals that, that kind of stick tight, you know, when they're scared and don't uh, bust off. I think it would be incredibly difficult to hunt an animal like a deer with keen senses with such an exaggerated movement to release the projectile. 
Yeah, that that's part of why we are on a quest to find somebody with with that experience. Because I mean, I know things like uh, a rabbit stick is almost the same motion as a sling. Yeah, and and people people do take rabbits with rabbit sticks. Uh, there's plenty of examples of that in you know on YouTube, for example. So I know it's possible to take game, but we just haven't found anybody who's done it. And I think you're right that using a large stone, there's a there's an ethical and practical issue, if not a legal one, in that uh, if you're hunting for meat, um, yeah, you want there to be some meat left. Yeah, I think rabbits would be the perfect game because they kind of you know freeze up and stay put when they get when they get frightened, so that'll give you that shot opportunity. Same with mm-hmm. things like squirrels where they're kind of just, I mean, they're not all that spooky. They care. They're not going to let you get away with a bunch of stuff, but you'd be able to get a couple throws, you know, a couple throws at them before they decide they've had enough. So one of the reasons that we wanted to have someone with as much experience as you do with a bow um, was to sort of talk about, what kind of, we've kind of been doing like a various different weapons versus the sling. So uh, we do have like, a few things that we've been sort of talking about trying to compare um so with the bow and the sling what what's your experience with range um because uh that can that can be kind of an interesting one um which do you think can well hey, hang on hang on if if we're going to go into uh sling versus archery here we probably should uh get a little bit more talk a little bit more about archery before we go slings versus archery here um Okay. Okay. Fine. <laughs> so, so you mentioned ex- instinctive shooting. Um, maybe we should even try to constrain the conversation to instinctive shooting versus slinging to make it a fair fight. Um, but yeah. So, what okay. ca- what yeah. kind of archer would you <laughs> consider yourself, or what's your your preferred shooting style, Corey? Um, I mean, it's it's called so many different things. The archery world's kind of funny like that. But I'm a bit of a. Um, it's called split vision shooting. Um, it's kind of like instinctive shooting where my main focus is the target and I'm, I'm, I'm boring a hole in whatever I want to hit. But at the same time, I do have kind of like a subconscious or peripheral view of my arrow shaft in my vision. It's blurry mm-hmm. and it's secondary, but it is there. And that kind of allows me to predict the flight path of the arrow, even if it's just for an instant, you know, as I'm in the drone cycle. But uh, also another style that I use is called snap shooting, which is basically instant release of the arrow. No holding, no, all of the aiming that's done is happening during the draw cycle. And the moment the arrow's back, it's, it's released. Okay. So, so that's actually, uh, I think more similar, certainly more similar to slinging than if you were string walking. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's one smooth motion out of the quiver onto the string and then rip the arrow away. Okay. Well, so good. I think that that will help put things in context, especially for, for the archers who are listening. Archery has its own, like like you said, archery has its own technical language to it, just like slinging does. And uh, and it's not it's not just a homogenous community any, any more than slinging is, possibly more fractured. Oh yeah. At least because at least because there's more archers out there, not not as many slingers. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, archery's broken up into many different groups of people that believe many different things to be the best method. <laughs> you know. 
Yeah, so with range, I think is that's quite an interesting one to talk about. There's a lot of sort of historical accounts of slings going a lot further than bows, and some evidence from sort of more modern times. But what's what's your sort of opinion on that? Like, how do you match them up? I would agree that the sling is probably got the the advantage in long range like artillery fire like arcing shots into say a crowd of you know troops or something like that but because from what i've read and from my personal throwing experience the sling has a maximum effective range of sometimes up to 400 meters and uh the only bows on the planet that are going to be able to match that are like the the high-powered asiatic composite bows um, like the turkish bows and uh, some of those arabic war archery type weapons those bows would have been known to have a, a maximum effective range of about the same but everywhere else in the world you're looking at more like uh, about 200 to 250 yards or 200 to 250 yeah. meters i mean some of those uh some of those turkish like war bows were pretty incredible and and their archers were known to be able to shoot you know many arrows very rapidly some accounts even i'm trying to think of what exactly the the speed shooting requirements are but i think that the for example the arab archers were supposed to be able to fire an arrow into the air and then fire if i'm recalling correctly five more arrows before that arrow hits the ground so the it was repeatable and quite rapid the the, having that extra range gave them the edge in in battle for sure they were absolutely devastating yeah that would lead to the next the next comparison which would be rate of fire rate of fire is hands down to the longbow i can shoot uh six arrows in 15 seconds and that's just me drawing from a back quiver there are many faster methods out there of speed shooting um that's about the fastest i feel i can shoot out of a back quiver but if you've seen any of the guys like Lars Anderson on the internet, um, some of these guys who are yeah. reinventing the ancient traditions of speed shooting and war archery, those guys can fire up to three arrows in one second. So I'm going to go rate of fire hands down to longbow. That's Im- that's impressive. Yeah, well, there's there's been like uh, these online competitions that we've been doing. There's been like a speed uh, speed round including that which is that you try and get as many shots off as, as you can in a minute and then you times that by your score and i think the highest was it dan or was it um dan uh, iron yeah. goober that got oh no no definitely dan i think oh score wise it might have been iron goober he's more accurate but dan was oh, okay. the fastest dan was dan got off uh somewhere between 25 and 30 shots i think in a minute which is still slower than three per second that's uh yeah. that's still pretty fast though. I think I think that that would yeah. be probably thirty shots a minute would be about the max that I could pull off with a longbow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really fast, and I have no idea how he he goes through all the mechanics of reloading and and doing the wind up and getting the shot off and then reloading the next one in in two seconds. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, that sounds impressive. We've we've nicknamed him the. We've nicknamed him the machine gun because a machine gun Dan because he just is so fast. <laughs> like so yeah, he is he is somewhat um exceptional in that, so I think yeah, rate rate of fire would probably still go to archery generally. Yeah, I think so. Um so I think accuracy is the next obvious one. We'll slingers will just take a beating here for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously I've 
not you know faced off against the an experienced or a world-class slinger but i've watched plenty of videos you know the competitions and uh, some of the the um like world champion athletes and i would say that honestly the longbow probably has the precision as well it's projectile repeatability i mean a good archery gear has matched arrows you know that are almost exactly the same you've got the advantage of aiming <laughs> i mean from from 20 yeah. meters away you would you could in skilled hands you can guarantee that from 20 20 meters you're going to hit the bullseye every time with a longbow and that's not been quite like say you had a melon sized target placed at 20 yards um with it an experienced yeah. archer will hit the melon 10 times out of 10 yeah an experienced an experienced slinger will hit the melon yeah <laughs> in, in in 10 shots eventually yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind yeah. of what i've i've seen online and it's still devastating accuracy on the battlefield but uh, i think as far as like sniper rifle accuracy we're going to go with the longbow like with a longbow i could pick i could yeah. pick which part of an enemy i wanted to hit and hit it with consistency there, there's some historical accounts of, um, I can't remember which group it was now, but they said that they would use like iron hoops to aim at, and they would be about the, sa the same size of a, as a person's face, and it was said that they would get good enough that they could choose which part of the face they could hit, but I don't know what the distance was on that. So, like, but with, then with a sling? there's a lot of sort of, yeah, with a sling. Yeah, I, I believe that um, was the Balearic, so, uh, Balearic Islands. Oh yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's sort of these various stories of incredible accuracy and incredible distance um, from certain specialized groups. But I've always sort of, they, I think all those stories need a little bit of, little bit of salt with them, just a little grain of salt. But it it seems that it was possible to get pretty accurate. But I think yeah, overall, if you're talking just sort of. Uh, general person picking up a bow and picking up a sling it's going to be the bow that wins it for accuracy yeah that's kind of i was kind of basing it on the masses as well because you, you hear these legendary stories of archers yeah. as well you know and, and when these when this is your life and you're being paid to train with these weapons it's it's anybody's guess how accurate you could really become with either one i'm sure there were yeah. legendary yeah. warriors holding both that were so accurate and repeatable that it would just shock and awe people today. Yeah. 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 The, the sling is interesting to me. Uh, I'm professionally trained as a physicist. And so the sling is unique in that its natural state of rest is in motion, right? It, the cocked and ready to fire position for a sling is swinging around, uh, which is different than a gun or a bow or a slingshot. All these other things that can be aimed the way you aim a sling is really with precision of timing uh, as well as body mechanics. And it's really hard to get all that down and just a few milliseconds of variation can equate to degrees of accuracy. Yeah. So it's uh, without, without nerding out too much on the physics of it, it it's really all about getting, <laughs> getting the consistency of your timing down perfect which means uh, consistent sling, consistent opening, consistent body mechanics, consistent ammo. And if you're throwing rocks, then that's, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing when you're talking about sort of the, when you're talking about the sort of repeatability and using, you know, spined arrows for a particular bow, that's something that 
we're still working out with slinging really that it's it's still not really known sort of how heavy a sling needs to be for certain ammo or like does it help if it's a very light sling with heavy ammo or with lighter ammo like there's a lot of things that we're that that's still unknown about slinging that archery kind of has a lead on that there's been a lot more sort of research and sort of development into proper arrows for proper bows and there just isn't the same for sling ammo and slings so that's that's something that's kind of that'd be really interesting to see like in the next couple of years if we can actually work out which ammo goes with which sling yeah we do have a, a small group of people that's trying to figure some of those things out but uh slingers are notoriously cheap as well so if we can't figure it out with a uh, video from an iphone then we're kind of stuck yeah. uh, one of these days yeah. one of us one of us is going to get a, a high-speed camera or something and answer half the questions that are out there because uh, that's about all it would take is a, a thousand frames a second watching the pouch open uh we could a- answer a lot of questions i feel like uh I mean, even without really reading more than a couple of historical accounts of these sling bullets that were found, you know, casted out of lead or whatever they may have been casted out of, I'm, I would imagine that with the the accuracy that the historical accounts say these war are these war slingers had, there's no way they didn't have casted bullets, you know, that were fairly fairly accurate and repeatable, like just a you know maybe a side pouch or a satchel full of perfectly matched casted bullets i think that's probably true the the other thing that surprised me when i first started learning about all that was how lightweight those lead bullets were Uh, because most slingers tend to gravitate towards if you're throwing stones uh, what feels comfortable is something around like two or three hundred grams and uh, a lot of those greek and roman bullets were closer to 30 grams like one-tenth the really? the size of of what you're what you naturally would gravitate towards on a sling that still has me baffled because uh the higher the mass the slower the motion and uh if it's all about precise timing then you've got to move that thing re- get that thing moving really fast which means your margin for error is a lot smaller on accuracy Interesting. So there, there's a lot of questions I did. Uh, I did feel like when I reduced the projectile size with my staff sling, I actually increased accuracy because I started really? throwing. I started throwing maybe fist-sized stones, and those did feel better just as far as the mechanics. But once I switched to like the size of a kiwi or so, and and found a bunch of river stones that were matched to be a roughly kiwi size, that seemed to be a sweet spot for me, as far as just like a good balance of power and accuracy. I mean, those those things are coming out of there with some serious kinetic energy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there there's a lot of unknowns as far as sling accuracy, but I I think it's fair to say the the bow has it beat, at least for now. We're working on it. Uh, okay, let's 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 try one that I think the sling has a chance of winning. Uh, portability. Um, portability goes to the sling. Yeah, because especially especially if you're throwing stones. Because you've got just, you know, either your cordage sling that you could roll up and put in your pocket or in a small pack or, or anywhere, really. And uh, the staff sling's not all that much different. I don't make my staff slings as tall as the thrower, which I believe would have been more traditional. You know, like, say, a man height uh, throwing staff, I do about four feet. I just, for the same reason, portability and just ease of throwing, so... 
I don't think they're historically accurate by any means, but I found four feet to be just a great little powerful staff sling. So still fairly portable, much more so than like a six foot tall longbow where you've got multiple components as well. Um, with the staff sling, your pouch and your cords are going to be connected to the staff. So there's not really anything you can lose with a longbow. You know, if it's unstrung, your bow string is a separate piece as well as your quiver full of arrows. So portability right. goes to the sling, regardless of whether it's a staff or hand sling, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think something that surprised me was uh, we talked to uh, to Fowler back in December, and, and he actually said the same thing comparing slingshots to slings, that he actually sometimes is annoyed by how bulky a slingshot is. If he's just out uh, running around in the woods, he wants to be able to, he would love to be able to just take a, a hand sling and stuff it in his pocket, because uh, the slingshot just gets in the way when you're moving around a lot. Yeah. So, so I, the sling has extreme portability in that respect, that it's just a floppy piece of string you can wrap around your arm or stick in your pocket. Agreed. Uh, and like you said, if you're using stones, then uh, ammo is free, and depending on where you live, it's everywhere. Yep. Not, not so much the case with arrows. They require a tremendous amount of work. Yeah, I've tried finding arrows in the woods and haven't had much luck yet. <laughs> you can find them. It just takes about uh, two hours per arrow <laughs> to, to find right. and craft from yeah. scratch. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with, about the staff slings and portability as well. Like, I found um, actually the staff slings in Finland have been quite useful just for as a walking stick with it being so slippy and icy so just having a having a stick with me like just so i can have just an extra point of contact so i don't slip around quite as much has been actually quite useful even when i haven't been using them as uh, staff slings so yeah that's another sort of useful thing i don't know if you'd want to use a bow really as a as a walking stick so much uh, you you might be able to, but uh, I, I'd like to protect the limb tips of my bow. So yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty important piece of the the whole kit is uh, being able to keep the string on. So if you snap off a tip or something, you know, slip or get your limb caught in a rock when you're using it as a hiking stick, that could end your hunt pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I I always cringe when I see uh, some Hollywood depiction of someone using a bow as a melee weapon. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you would have to weigh the pros and cons, but historically, uh, they were used as melee weapons. There are definitely accounts of Native American warriors using their bows to, you know, club people. It's uh, it's been well documented that they they were actually melee weapons. But I don't think, I don't think I would do it <laughs> if it, <laughs> if it hit a solid object. Like you know, I mean, that's pretty much your last resort. You're totally out of arrows. And, and you've uh, transitioned to the hand-to-hand -hand combat, then maybe you could swing your bow around a little bit and have a little bit of a distance weapon, but I would not expect it to survive for very long. Yeah, well, I, th I think that's why slingers carried a sword. Uh, you know, the Roman slingers, especially the, the way they're depicted, the Belearic slingers are uh, usually, at least depending on, again, which era, Roman, Roman history spans 2,000 years, so sort of the the typical what we think of as a, a roman skirmisher would have a a short sword in addition to a sling because it's not very effective to slap someone with a piece of string yeah yeah <laughs> I, I would imagine that most archers had a secondary weapon as well 
either a war club or a mace or a sword of some kind. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. So um, you're well known for making bows. Uh, let's talk about making a sling versus making a bow. Probably even being uh, conservative in the construction, we're going to go 10 times more dif um, difficulty and time involved in making a bow. At least 10 times. I, I believe that. Uh, I mean, you can, you can certainly fashion a functional sling uh, fairly quickly, especially if you already have pre-made cordage. There, there are people out there who will easily spend 30 plus hours making a single sling, but that's more of a artistic endeavor than a practical one. Yeah, it's the same with longbows and uh, just bows in general. There are different types of bows, like the Asiatic horn composites that can take, you know, six months to a year to make in skilled hands. And uh, then there are bows where you can craft one from, you can craft a serviceable weapon from start to finish in a single day or a single right. afternoon. You know, say if you, if you needed just a very basic, very crude bow that, uh, was you know hunting weight weapon that was to be used in an emergency you could probably craft one in four to five hours but uh a good like quality longbow made by a skilled craftsman is still going to take in the realm of 20 to 30 hours and then like i said you have the asiatic composites that take many months and then you also have to consider crafting of arrows because nowadays, nowadays bowyers are expected to be bowyers and fletchers, but historically that would have been two separate jobs. You might have even had the bowyer, the fletcher, and the blacksmith who makes the arrow points. Now everybody's kind of doing it all as one. And uh, fletching arrows and, and crafting arrows from scratch is, a, is an entirely separate craft. And it's equally as difficult as making a bow uh, to, make a, to make, say, a matched dozen set of arrows it's it's interesting how the the skills required to craft a bow are are pretty demanding and yet the the learning curve to use the bow compared to the sling is uh, much lower whereas a sling anybody can make one but then it takes years to uh, figure out really the body mechanics and and all that to to be moderately accurate with it yeah i suppose with the longbow you kind of pay your dues up front considerably longer you know, um, manufacturing time or creating time and then a much less steep learning curve. So each has their pros and cons, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting to me and we're overdue for another historical episode on, on this podcast, but, uh, historically how, you know, at least in warfare, there was clearly a place for both slingers and archers. Yeah. I think it's kind of, just like modern warfare, there's there's a place for artillery, there's a place for, you know, infantrymen, and there's a place for snipers. Just multifaceted warfare, and I'm sure it's been the same forever. Yeah, it, make, it makes sense just to uh, diversify a little bit and uh, keep your enemy guessing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading that the, the Balearic Slingers would be contracted out sort of as like war mercenaries for all different regions like the romans and, and things like that and they would be hired you know as sort of a sling artillery for these different ongoing wars from different regions i'm not i'm, I, I'm not a history like fanatic on this stuff but i, I just know the basics and I, I seem to recall reading some stuff about that yeah they uh they really sort of became known as like one of the 
best slingers, and particularly in the Mediterranean area during Roman period and before and through the Roman Empire. Yeah, there's there's a few different groups that sometimes get more coverage, as it were, for slinging. Um, they kind of became known for it. But yeah, the Balearic slingers are, were world-renowned, uh, and they they still have a slinging culture there that's been kept going. Nice. Yeah, I think I think historically they were mostly used as skirmishers, where they they'd go in and soften yeah. up the troops a little bit, you know, jump in and then jump out and disappear again. Which, if if you're a contractor, sounds like probably about the best job because you're not on the lines that are getting cut to pieces as often. Yeah, drop in some heavy artillery from 400 meters away and then just get out of town when the yeah. battle starts. Yeah. yeah, get your paycheck and go home. Yeah. <laughs> Although, of course, if you then get stuck, then, and you can't, like, get out, then that wouldn't be quite so fun if you've only got... Well, like like we were saying, they they often would have had, like, I think it was uh, javelins they were known to have, like, and spears, um, and then, I guess, swords as well, but even so, they didn't have much heavy armor or anything, so... <laughs> they, yeah. were, they were definitely not on the front line, but, yeah. But no doubt probably had to engage from time to time. Oh, I'm sure. All right, uh, what else have we got on our uh, uh, sling versus bow comparison list here, Kick? Well, uh, the one that I think is kind of the the one of the reasons that I'm I'm here talking about slinging rather than archery is cost. When I first got into yes. slinging, I was kind of looking at archery as a uh, as as a potential hobby, and quickly realised that a bit of string is a lot cheaper than a bow and arrows and and everything that else that comes along with it. So cost i think is is something that the sling probably has a lead on i would agree even if you even if you go as basic as you can with longbows which is something that i encourage people to do i mean we host bow building workshops um here in southeast nebraska and we bring groups of people we bring groups of three in um about once every other month that do a start to finish bow build um in three days and I try to teach everybody how to do that with the most basic hand tools, but there's still definitely a tool investment up front. There's no doubt that a, a serviceable and powerful bow could be made from nothing but a hatchet or say a hatchet and a pocket knife. And then obviously your materials are free so long as you can find permission to cut a small tree. And, uh, you know, nobody cares if you cut a few straight um, suckers off of a bush or something to make some arrows feathers you can usually find for free um i mean at least in my region there's turkey feathers laying on the ground all over the place so the materials are a non-issue but uh, if you want to build bows in any kind of serious way as a long-lasting hobby there's definitely a small tool investment up front maybe a several hundred dollars you know just to get yourself into a nice draw knife a couple nice different types of rasps um maybe some good quality bowstring material uh, a good bench vice goes a long way. I mean, that's a that's a game changer as far as efficiency of building. So cost goes to the sling for sure. Well, and even if you just wanted to go out and, and get into archery without building your own and just buy one, uh, you know, which I, just for the sake of having a little bit of experience with shooting a, uh, a recurve, I, I went out and bought, you know, a roughly $100 cheap recurve bow and I learned very quickly that that $100 bow, I'm, I'm already, you know, close to $300 deep just with uh, all the accessories, the, you know, arrows and uh, a basic quiver and a, and a target and 
uh, all the things just to be able to shoot in my backyard without destroying my fence. Yeah. Uh, has been, uh, it's, it, it's been interesting to, uh, uh, to see just the contrast. Yeah. Sling. If you went out and bought a sling, then a, a really good sling is going to cost you maybe $50. And, and then you pick up some rocks or maybe spend, uh, a dollar a piece on on the high-end tennis balls to throw in your backyard and you're good to go for you know sixty dollars uh, okay maybe if you if you went out and bought a target too uh, or had a target made you're, you're still gonna be under a hundred dollars yeah and uh, and that's that's below what I paid for just the bow itself without without any accessories or arrows or anything else so so definitely no, uh, slingers are notoriously cheap and we have that reputation and <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's well earned. I, I I think a lot of primitive archers are notoriously cheap as well. <laughs> I mean, if 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 you get on the online forums and stuff and look at uh, yeah, everybody that's you know just building for fun and not really trying to do it for a full time career, it's it's all about cost savings and just like getting by with the least amount of tools. And I think that's the way to go. Honestly, there's there's really very few places for someone to have say like a 14 inch bandsaw or something like that you know or like in our case where we have to host multiple people i've got a, a shop just full of tools but if it was just me right. producing i wouldn't need most of that stuff i do i do like that the slingers are going the cost effective route and i think that the the primitive archers definitely do the same thing but the the more modern archery gear is definitely pricey like the fiberglass bows and yeah. no doubt the compounds where now you're getting up to, you know, these new compound bows are like $3,000 just for a frame with no accessories, no sights, yeah. no nothing. Yeah. You can definitely spend as much as you want on archery. I've noticed. Yes. Uh, I think that it, it would be really difficult to spend $3,000 on a sling on slinging. And I still haven't spent that much money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys have the cost. You guys win the cost one for sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we sort of touched on learning curve a little bit. I think that that's, that's a big contrast as well. I've only been shooting a cheap bow for a few weeks and very, very casually already. I tend to be at least as accurate with a bow as, as I am with a sling at that 15 yard range. What it took me years to get to in terms of accuracy with a sling, uh, I got to in a few minutes with a bow. Yeah, I think with just a little bit of instruction from an experienced archer, like we, we have people that come through the classes that have never, I mean, the bow that they make during the classes is the first bow that they're ever going to shoot. And within 20 minutes of focused individual instruction, I can have them hitting, you know, a fairly small target on a regular basis. I mean, we're, we're talking very few misses on, say, a, uh, 24 by 24 inch target um, in just a few minutes and then if they go home like some of the people leave here and they go home and they practice and I, I re-encounter them later maybe at an archery event or something like that and their accuracy in less than a year has uh, I mean become very impressive like nothing short of extraordinary in that amount of time so if you are dedicated to the longbow, you can get some pretty incredible accuracy um, in six months' time, we'll say, of, of dedicated training. That that was also not my experience with the sling. I threw <laughs> That's definitely true. 
I threw with the hand sling, very dedicated, um, for probably two years. <laughs> and like I said, I, I think I was like, maybe we'll call it a five foot by five foot accuracy or six foot by six foot square, maybe after that amount of time. Well, and if you look at the, the international competitions, the target is four feet across. It's a four foot by four foot target. And even the best slingers sometimes miss. Yeah. Yeah. So that, like, that tells you a lot. Yeah. Like, like we were saying earlier now that I've, practice with the longbow every day for many years i mean 20 yards i'll hit i i can hit you know a fist sized like say an apple or something most times at 20 yards definitely yeah. definitely something like the size of a cantaloupe or a human head that would be 10 out of 10 accuracy at that distance recently i've been like trying to teach some people how to sling um i've been like going to these reenactment groups and because I thought that would be a good good place to find people that might be into slinging. So I've been giving people uh, some slings and giving a few quick lessons and it's still kind of impressive when they can get it to go forward. <laughs> like <laughs> it just like it it is just such a completely like I feel like with with archery this is of course simplifying it very much but it's mostly pulling and letting go which people have at least the basic understanding of whereas with slinging there's a whole load of new movements that i think sort of that people just aren't familiar with and i'm still amazed actually at how many times i've seen people not realize you have to let go of one end <laughs> they just like spin it around and expect it to somehow fly out magic yeah <laughs> so uh there's there's sort of a not as much of an understanding of just the very very basics of it uh, I feel with slinging as there is with archery, so that's something else that archery sort of has in its advantage. There's a lot of prior understanding of what a bow is. Oh, I was going to say that was my experience um, when I started introducing the hand sling to all my friends, you know, and they'd come over and just uh, we'd head out for some slinging. And uh, when they were first learning, everybody else would hide behind rocks and trees and stuff, <laughs> just because you never knew where those first <laughs> five or six projectiles were going to go. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a challenge with because uh, people seem seem to want to swing it around their head too. We always encourage new slingers to sling kind of like you're bowling underhand because then it's either going to go forward or backward, and if you stand to the side, you're fairly safe. Yeah, I feel like it's a little different with staff sling though. People pick that up pretty quickly. Like if you want to, you can just hold a staff sling over your head and like kind of chop it like an axe, and it'll release the projectile. So a little less of a danger curve on that one, but. Yeah, yeah, they can true. still be and pretty wild at first. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's interesting though. We I don't think there are enough staff slingers out there for us to really have a good body of knowledge on the learning curve on staff slings specifically. Uh, so that would be really interesting to see if you took somebody with no experience and dedicated serious time just to staff slinging, not to hand slinging. Uh, I wonder how long it would take them to get to a, a let's say, a hunting level of accuracy. Yeah, I mean, the very first time I ever made a staff sling, I took it out and probably, I, I mean, I threw until my arms pretty much fell off. But I, within two hours, I felt like I had, you know, center mass upper body shots on a human-sized target, like most times from 20 or like 15 to 20 meters. So it was a really surprisingly shallow learning curve. And I was actually amazed at how little information there is out there. There's tons and tons of information on the hand sling. And then you go to try to research the Some of it is sling. even correct. Yeah. That's just like <laughs> archery. 
but uh you go to research the staff sling and there's nothing i think i found like two very vague resources or like maybe a couple youtube videos of some you know basic staff slings but i pretty much just had to make one that just by myself just from scratch and and figure it out and go through a few variations until i found one that threw how i liked it and yeah it's it's interesting because it's 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 a much easier weapon and it's equally as easy to make i'm surprised there aren't more staff slingers i've sort of done a very rudimentary staff sling a few times but most of my slinging happens in my backyard and uh at 15 yards is about the most I can get out of my yard. And it seems for me, it feels too short uh, because they're going to all go over my fence into my neighbor's yard. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that may be part of it is that if you're, if you're trying to sling at a shorter range, the staff sling may, it's, it's harder to get your, your vertical release is going to be what it is. And it's hard to adjust that uh, on the fly. That's true. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not entirely. You can do it. It's just, uh, uh, if if you're just swinging like an axe or just getting started with it, then then it's it's certainly uh, it takes a little bit of practice. That makes sense. Yeah, I feel I feel like the sweet spot for repeatable accuracy for the staff sling was pr- like now that I'm thinking about it in terms of like a fence height, it would have been at the top edge of like a fence, you know, maybe like shoulder height on a tall person. So I can see where a small error there would send them flying over into your neighbor's yards. You want to you wanna tell us a little bit about your business while we've got you here? Sure. Yeah, so people can find it uh, if they just look up organic archery. Um, we, I think I mentioned it earlier, but we specialize in handcrafted primitive longbows and wooden arrows. And I, right now I'm only shipping to the U.S. and Canada just because we've had some international um, issues with the COVID and just the mail systems being all backed up and products being lost and things like that. But uh, organicarchery.com if you want to inquire about a bow. Otherwise, we also teach three-day bow building workshops where people can come out here and build their own primitive longbows from start to finish in three days. And um, on the last day, we do tons of shooting and everybody learns the fundamentals of longbow longbow marksmanship. And uh, you leave here with the... with a hunting weight weapon that you crafted with your own hands. But I do have to say that uh, we are sold out for 2022. I'm going to try to open up a couple more dates for the classes, but uh, otherwise people can just hang tight and jump on one next year. If we're not able to get another class or two opened up this year. So on, on Instagram, uh, there seems to be the implication that there's really good food at those as well. Yeah. We, we, we try to go all out with the food. So while people are here, um, they they'll eat like kings or queens. We've had that. Uh, we've had some stellar females that have come here, and that women just knock it out of the park. So, nice. well, Corey, uh, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, definitely. It's been a great talk, and uh, appreciate it. And we'll see you around. <laughs> okay, so I guess now we can uh... cue the outro. Cue the outro. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at catchthispodcast.com, on the Sling.org forum, on YouTube, and at catch underscore this underscore podcast on Instagram. Music by Wintergarten. Catch you next time.